outside. Like it was a really amazing night. I was on the door at the after party mm-hmm. and there was, I think as before we turned the microphones on, we were discussing how the 2019 election had been a bit of a disappointment. And so I think at the start of the night, there were a few people there, but they were a little bit reserved. But then as the results started coming in, people were coming to the door and they were all coming in and I was having to make sure that we weren't kind of above our um, kind of number limit. And, and yeah, just the, the vibe was extremely excited and relieved, mm. but really that, that feeling like, oh, good, people people get it. Like mm. the, the vote is now actually reflecting what we're actually hearing people saying and wanting and, and yeah. it's a, a real movement for change. This episode of Kids These Days was recorded on the land of the Yuggera and Turrbal people. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Piper, my pronouns are she, they. I'm a Gemini sun, Virgo moon and Sagittarius rising. You're a Taurus Sun, Cancer Moon, and Leo Rising. Okay. Taurus Sun, Cancer Moon, Leo Rising. Leo Rising sounds like that's not me. Well, you've got the, the hair. You've got the hair, yeah. yeah Leo, yeah. yeah. Fuck, I've got a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm sorry. I'll start again. I'll start again. Hi, everyone. I'm Senator Larissa Waters. My pronouns are she, her, and I am, was born in February, so I'm an Aquarian. Yeah. With a Libra Moon and Sagittarius Rising. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm Jess, uh, Jess Feely. My pronouns are also she, her. I have just been informed that my big three are Taurus, Sun, Cancer, Moon and Leo Rising. Jess, what do you do? So I work for the Good Senator. I'm her policy and parliamentary advisor. What exactly is that? Just a little Very bit. good question. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. all of the things. It's all um, of the so things. basically my role is to assist Larissa in parliament by mm-hmm. um, making sure that we're across all of the legislation that the government's proposing and making sure that we're either comfortable with it or we have amendments that we'd like to make um, or that we think it's appalling and we should definitely oppose it. So making sure that Larissa's got all the research she needs to be able to articulate that in Parliament and make the world very clear on what our positions are on things. It's a very diverse and very fulfilling role and a lot of it is also having contact with the community and making sure that what the work that we do in Parliament is reflecting the things that the community are, are wanting the, the politicians to do. So that, that's a really fulfilling part of the role. Yeah, so I'm a federal politician. So mm-hmm. being a senator, that means I represent a whole state. And I'm from I'm from Queensland, so I represent the state of Queensland um, in federal parliament. And my job is really to listen to what Queenslanders want mm-hmm. and then represent them in parliament, um, usually by... Yeah, taking a position on things the government proposes, taking our own position on policy issues, pushing things like full funding for domestic violence services, proper climate action, making sure everyone's got a home, um, and doing a lot of listening to the community and then a lot of um, pushing of government to try to achieve good outcomes for people and nature. Yes, nature. You, because you were, I guess, like, you were both environmental lawyers before, like caring about the environment was, was cool. Vogue. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> this is but, the first and only time Jess and I will be cool before it was cool to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jess and I went to uni together actually. Oh my so god, we really? Environmental law a million years ago, mm-hmm. um, and speaking for me, I was always motivated by protecting nature, not yeah. just a love of the natural world. It, it makes me feel small and insignificant, and um, very just yeah, blessed to be surrounded by this magnificent. Thing that somehow supports life yeah. and um, is yeah, an independent ecosystem that will carry on regardless of what humans end yeah. up doing. Um, long story short, 
yeah, I used to be an environmental lawyer, loved mm. it, loved trying to help people to protect the planet, but mm. ultimately realised that the laws were so bleak they weren't achieving that outcome. And one way of trying to fix that was to get into Parliament and try to fix the laws, which I naively thought would be a lot easier than it's proven to be. Yeah. My parents moved to Brisbane uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And my dad said it was the first time he's ever voted and had the person that he voted for actually win because he's voted oh. green as for as long as it's been possible, but he's never lived in an electorate where the majority of people agree. What electorate is he he's, in? He's now in Brisbane. So he got to vote for Stephen and was extreme, oh, and he campaigned for Stephen and he was extremely excited when he won. And he, he also thought it was his vote that tipped him over. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, I think that, like, that's the thing about preferential voting is that mm-hmm. your vote is never going to not count. Exactly. Like, that's so good. And and especially in Stephen's seat where it was actually really, really close. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. D- Dan Feely definitely life. thinks he yes. got Stephen Bates across the line. <laughs> I love Stephen Bates. What an icon. Um, He's fabulous. Oh, isn't he? Yeah. I, like, teared up at his speech in Parliament about the queer community. Yeah. yeah. And also, classically, Stephen, like, the generosity of giving over your first speech to talking about someone else's issue rather than talking about yourself. So I think that's that's... Very yeah. telling of the kind of politician that Stephen I, is and will continue to be. Yeah, I think it's so good that now we have, like, have a lot more politicians that are really, like, grounded in reality and that, like, come from real-life experience. But there are certain politicians who grew up in wealth and privilege yes. and don't really see life outside their little privileged bubble yes. and then struggle to comprehend that there are people actually who can't afford to <laughs> go to the dentist and then they're... Mm. They've kept like wow. Well, I think that was another thing Stephen was saying. That like he can now go to the dentist because of the salary he's on, but he couldn't do it when he was a retail worker. Mm. And it's like things like that that are like actually that affect people's lives so much more than mm. we ever thought possible. But he's so right, Piper. I think there was an observation made. It might have been by Annabelle Crabb, but one of those sort of great feminist political commentators that much of the last government went to the same private school together and moved in the same kind of privileged circles as young men. Yeah. And that just deepens their sense of entitlement and privilege just clearly blinds you to the realities of most people's lives. Yeah. And we had a government that was governing for itself and not for and not for the people. people. Class is one of the diversity issues that isn't really talked yeah. about in Parliament. Yeah. So I think there's been a lot of really good work that's been done over the last long little while and we've certainly been at the forefront of doing a lot of that around gender diversity, mm-hmm. cultural diversity. But it still remains the fact that the way politics works, only a certain class of people can actually end up being there a lot yeah. of the time. So there's a, there's a huge class divide, um, which obviously needs to be overcome, but also puts a real imperative on the people that are there to make sure that they're listening to everybody, not just mm. listening to the people that are in their particular socioeconomic bracket. Yeah. Um, and so I think Stephen is a, a good example <laughs> of someone who comes from a different place with a different experience and will bring all of that to yeah. mm. Well, Stephen comes from real life experience, mm. which I think is really important. Um, but I... he's still young enough that he hasn't forgotten that experience. <laughs> yeah, it's like fresh out of retail. So yeah. was it retail or hospitality? It's it retail. Both. Retail, yeah. okay. Um, but I would love to talk to you guys about Gen Z mm. and gen, like particularly Gen Z in politics and things that you've noticed mm. about the way that Gen Z fight back against a system that is inherently designed to knock you on your feet. Yeah, a lot of thoughts on that. I'm sure Jess will too. Um, Gen Z is like super creative, really smart, and they're finding new and novel ways of organising, supporting each other and making their presence felt. Now, I'm a bit older now, so don't ask me about all the different apps and platforms, but (laughs) Gen Z are 
mobilising that and I would say weaponising that but in the positive sense of the word um, to, yeah, support each other. So I think there's a real growing sense that um, politics is old-fashioned and dominated by a bunch of old white privileged people, mostly men, and that it doesn't speak for young people or or recognise the challenges they're facing. And so I think young people, I sound like an old person when I say young people, are really sick of that and so they're really wanting to harness the system and they're doing it in ways that are creative and ultimately effective. Yeah. Um, But we still need to get more young people in parliament. Yeah. It's like the second best option is to listen to young people, but the best option is to have young people speaking themselves in parliament um, and there's this one little program that um, happens each year which is about young people writing speeches that we then get to um, give in Parliament on their behalf, which I'm doing next week with Jess's help. Oh, my god! And that's one small way, but it's not good enough. We actually need people elected who are young and who have a variety of different experiences and are from all sorts of class backgrounds to balance out the, um, yeah, the privilege that's there at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think... I do have a sense of hope. Like the challenges are so bloody huge. I'm in awe of any young person that is managing to hold it together in this day and age because the rules are all different now. You don't know what the rules are. The climate crisis is making everything weird. You can't plan for the future. The economy's screwed. I just, I just get the sense that there's less certainty now about what life is going to be like. And perhaps that's a personal thing, but I don't like not knowing that sort of thing. Yeah. I like the certainty of knowing, okay, these are the parameters, these, you know, these are my options. And I really feel that it's it's really tough to be young these days. Yeah. So I'm I'm conscious of that and I'm trying to do what I can from a policy perspective to fix some of those real pressures on people, whether that's yeah. a cost of living crisis, a jobs crisis or the climate crisis. But fundamentally, we just need a parliament that is not so ancient yeah. and privileged. Just to like interrupt you for a second, I've actually noticed that that is something that like my mum particularly um, kind of like can't conceptualize about what it's like to be young in this day and age mm-hmm. because she is like, oh, you should you should start saving to for a house deposit and like buy a house. And I'm like, mum, I can't own a house in this day and age. Like mm-hmm. nobody can. I know mm-hmm. that you know your parents bought a house for like what twenty thousand yeah. dollars back in like the 1970s but it's not like that anymore you like pay millions of dollars for a two-bedroom house that's falling apart and that is ridiculous mm. but yeah like that was that was just one small example yeah. I was like well the times are changing and it's not the same as when you like I know that my mom was lucky enough that she was able to buy a house when she was 25 I, I'm not going to be able to do that yeah and it's like small things like that yeah, that's what I mean about the rules are different. Like yeah. those sort of guiding parameters that you could either choose to subscribe to or not. Like not everyone ever wanted to buy a house. No, yeah. At least you have a sense of, okay, this, this pathway is available to me. Yeah. And I feel like at the moment young people just, there's just no discernible path. Like we're yeah. sure, which means everything's available, but it also means that you just don't know what there's the future's so going to be like. And that's like really fucking stressful. Yeah. Well, I like also like university used to be free. Mm. Boomers went to university for free, and well, in Australia at least. And it's things like that that I've actually I've said this before, but like I think growing up as someone like as in Gen Z is we experience so many like systematic hardships and hurdles Mm. that we have to jump through Mm. and then that's kind of like pushed back onto us and it's like well the system has always worked so if it's not working for you yeah then this is a reflection (laughs) on you this is not a reflection on the system the the system's always worked so if it's not working for you then 
that sucks for you, but mm. we're going to keep it this way. And yeah. it's like, well, <laughs> why hasn't, why hasn't, why haven't things been adjusted for inflation? Like, mm. Yeah, why hasn't the system evolved? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so I worked at a university um, for a few years ago and like the lectures would be almost empty and amongst the lecturing stuff there'd be this sort of kids today blah 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 but I'm like well no one can afford to not be working in order to pay their rent in order to actually do university they have to be working often full-time in addition to doing this of course they're watching the lectures online like you know and so I think there's a lot as you say of this sort of expectation that the way that things happened in the 80s should is the way that it's still happening now and, and mm-hmm. kids haven't adjusted to it as opposed to it just not being possible for people to live the life that, you know, it was possible to live in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Well, that was something that our old Prime Minister said a lot was that, like, if you everyone gets a fair go, if you give a go, you that's get right. a go. And it's like, that's well, right. actually, that's not the case mm-hmm. anymore. Um, there was some great comedy that came out of that line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of the memes. Uh, I love... Oh my god! Um, meme culture. Meme, yeah, that's another we'll big part of Gen Z. Thank you, Gen Z. I think my favorite. This, this is my personal favorite Scott Morrison meme. But it was like when it had come out that like he had assigned himself like all these extra oh, yeah. titles. Someone was like Scott Morrison announces his pronouns and now they them. And <laughs> that was my I like that. favorite delicious. one. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys follow Bobcatter's Crocodile Farm? Instagram? <laughs> no, I do not. So you you obviously know the the video of Bob Catter going like when a thousand blossoms bloom. Oh, yeah. yeah, someone turned like that into an I entire. Spend any more time on it. Yeah. That, <laughs> I love us us pole memes. They're so fun. They're yeah, so me, fun. Too. me too. Um, but yeah, we're you should definitely. Tragic, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean that's how we find humor in situations, totally, right? Yeah. Totally. My my personal Gen Z icon is Greta Thunberg because I think oh, she's yeah. an amazing example of how one person can make a difference. Absolutely. Um, Oh and I, think... I love that a young woman mm-hmm. on the spectrum is now a oh, icon. I, I just love that. That wouldn't have been the case yeah. 20 years ago, maybe not even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I know I, she's I, been I, in the public eye for about five years now, but I just I love that people were so willing to have her as the emblem of our time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's... that gives me hope in itself. And she's marvellous. She and takes no shit from anyone. No. I just love it. Speaks truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think the Gen Z connectedness, recognising that online connectedness is a, yeah. it is real connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that an entire community can be built across the world from people who have never and will never meet Greta Thunberg but feel mm-hmm. a part of that same movement, I think yeah. I think that's definitely something that Gen Z has done really well. Yes. Yeah. Out of necessity a lot of the time, but I think well, it's... I think that was something that, um, like, School Strike for Climate mm-hmm. did a lot in 2019 when it was, like, really big, but... That was obviously that was all that was all her. Like it had mm-hmm. been inspired. That's right. It was one yeah, one person, and it was regional Victoria that had the first school strike for climate in oh, Australia. Right. Yeah, it was regional Victoria, and then that just went all around the country, and then it was like a movement in Australia, and then mm-hmm. mov- movement all over the world, and it was her that started it. Yeah, and I think um, this kind of goes back to what I was going to say before, but. I think that the reason that a lot of young people are kind of willing to put up a fight is because there are kind of no other options. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's really like, I mean, the mentality that a lot of people I know have, it's like, well, what else do we have to lose? Yeah. Like we can mm-hmm. lose a fight, but we've already lost just by existing in this day and age. And yeah. And I think that there's that 
risk of despondency from feeling like what is the point but my experience with gen z is that they're more likely to say well what choice do we have but to fight rather than what's the point we won't yeah it's to say we've got nothing to lose we're going all in yeah and that's horrifying that they are in that position but it's gratifying that their their response is to fight rather than to lie down yeah and i think injustice is a great motivator Oh, definitely. I think we we'll, like as Jen, we grew up watching so much social and environmental injustices just like happen all the time. And I think I've lived through about like three different recessions and I'm only 20. And I wanted to ask you, Jess, like, why did you get into environmentalism? Why did you become an environmental lawyer? Um, much the same in the sense that I'd always, my parents are very progressive and they'd always um, done a lot of work in kind of community injustice so lots of over overseas um like they they ran every community aid abroad organization in every small town that we we lived in and were the token hippies in every place we went to so social justice was always hippies. the token hippies yeah oh, I love that. um and so social justice was always very much part of my upbringing and then yeah environmentalism by virtue of loving nature and recognizing that that was one of the ultimate injustices was the the yeah. um, damage we were doing to the planet um and then, yeah, so studied at uni with Larissa and then went, uh, lived in Tasmania and ran the Environmental Defenders Office there. So big shout out to the Environmental Defenders Offices around Australia and absolutely um, invaluable community legal centre, basically providing legal advice and representation to community groups determined to protect places that they love from development. Yeah. Um, and again, an incredibly fulfilling job, but incredibly hard work when the laws don't provide you with the opportunities that you need to protect the places that you that need protecting. Um, so yeah, I did that job for an extremely long time, <laughs> embarrassingly a number of years. Um, but yeah, it was always a, a passion project, but similar to Larissa, it came to the point of recognising that unless the legislation changed, you're always going to kind of come up against a brick wall. Yeah. So hence shifting the focus. And I will also just say that the government has just refunded the Environmental Defenders Offices in the last large budget, which is an amazing thing because, yeah, uh, Tony Abbott took away the funding and it was a devastating blow. And working at an Environmental Defenders Office when that happened, it was really hard work to kind of rebuild from that. Um, but the organisations had so much support because people recognised how important it was to have a voice for the environment and, yeah. and somewhere that people could go for advice about how to protect places that they loved and, and that was so important to them. Um, so, yeah, I was really pleased to see that money go to the EDOs in the budget um, and I hope that that relieves some of the staff from the fundraising efforts that they've had to go to, to keep things yeah. ticking over for the last couple of years. Mm. Fundraising is a really big, like, strain on a lot of um, not-for-profit organisations because mm. it's obviously mm. how they get all of their funding that's yeah. in the name um but now i would love to talk about the policies that have been well changed since the election and some of the policies that the greens are trying to put forward and some of that because that this is really exciting stuff lots have changed in such a short amount of time if you guys want to talk on that yeah i'll make a start yeah Look, it's been the place feels different that's for sure but again we need to actually ask the staff who are not in positions of power whether the parliament house actually feels significantly different than it used to i hope it does. It feels to me like it does, but yeah, I'm not the best barometer for that. Um, but there's been quite a few positive things that have happened so far, and there's a lot of hope still for what might happen in the future. Um, one of the things that I know you've got an interest in that Jess and I have worked really long and hard on as well is um, sexual harassment laws yeah. for every workplace. That has been such a long time coming, and it's been um, 
culminating uh, from the work of so many young women who've had the courage to stand up to their harassers, whether that's in the workplace or on the street or wherever. Uh, so really, really pleased to see finally we're going to have a duty on all workplaces to keep their workers safe from harassment oh and bullying. Which is incredible. That should have been there. The yeah, whole that should have been there ages ago. It should be revolutionary, but it is. Yeah. So, um, well, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, full recognition to all of the women that drove this outcome, and really pleased that the government has come to the table on this. Mm. So that's one of the good things that's, that's about to happen. Past the um, past the house, and it's just waiting to come to us in the Senate for the final sitting. I did, I did see that. Yeah. Fortnight. Um, an integrity commission is coming up as well. <laughs> Finally, yeah, the Commonwealth's the only level of government that doesn't have a corruption body. Really, All the other states and territories have got one, and they're pretty busy. And the Commonwealth has clearly needed one for quite some time, yeah. and it's going to have a lot on its plate. So that's another positive reform that's not quite like hasn't passed the Senate yet. And we're seeking some improvements to make it even stronger, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it's a bit of a watch this space kind of kind of thing. But fundamentally, we'll, that will be a step in the right direction to have a corruption body. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some workplace law um, changes that are being proposed that will hopefully help workers organise better to get better conditions. Um, pretty complicated convoluted way of doing it to be honest i'm a big fan of just regulate but you know that's not really fashionable these days we've got to use the market and work with business and anyway but there's some improvements for workplace rights generally that's that's coming down the line um we've got a climate target now that's legislated it's too low but it's legislated at least it's it's legislated so again that's a that's a step in the right direction that's not enough in and of itself, but is a start that we can work on now and add some flesh to those bones and really try to make sure that we're starting to phase out coal and gas, mm-hmm. which is harder than you would think. Unfortunately, the new government is just as in bed with the fossil fuel industry as the last government was. Maybe they're a bit more embarrassed about it than the last ones were, but they're still yeah. taking the money. They're still taking the political donations. Trying to pretend that they don't actually. That's right. Yeah. And they've still got you know some ministers that, Sprint renewable energy while other ministers like cozy up to the gas industry. So I'm afraid there's still mm. quite a long way to go to divorce the yeah. coal giants and the gas giants from Parliament. The way that like I try and um, explain to my parents at least like about the Labour government is that like there seems to be this like left Labour and right Labour mm. and then like they just like come together for some reason mm. and that like a lot of the time they can either be either you know the greens politicians with bread painted on them or they can be liberal politicians with bread painted on them yeah. and it's kind of like like there are some people who i listen to and i'm like why are you with labor you should be yeah. in the greens party and then there are yeah. some people that i'm like i don't like you at all and yeah. you remind me of several liberal politicians yeah. um, and i think that's really the greens role is to push a progressive government to be better yeah. um, and to be less compromised and less um beige for want of a better word um, so they've got some good ground, good good kind of starting positions, but often they're just not strong enough. Um, so, for example, on housing, like we're in a housing crisis. You mentioned before, yes. like house ownership is like not even a thing anymore. Yeah, it's not, not even, even on my radar. It's not like, even something that's a long-term dream. No. That's the case for so many people. And so the obvious solution is, well, build some more homes, make yeah. them affordable homes, and also stop giving away tax perks to people that have a bajillion mm. properties already. That's like kind of what I, I don't. The housing market. I don't really understand how 
someone can't buy their first house but a property investor can buy their 12th house and then like oh, rent that out like how is how is it easier for someone yeah. to buy well because a house? of those tax settings that are yeah. deliberately put in place and kept in place by governments how mm. is that good policy yeah. I don't know. It's not good policy, I clearly. remember arguing with my auntie about this once and because I was like, yeah, if you own multiple houses, you shouldn't be paying more tax yes. on the houses that you pay. And she was like, oh, so you think grandma and granddad who worked so hard to have three houses should be paying more tax? I'm like, yes. yes. <laughs> if they have three yeah, houses, exactly. yes, they should be. Exactly. They, at, at the very least, not being subsidized by other yeah. taxpayers to acquire more homes. Mm-hmm. So um, the recent budgets acknowledged that there was a housing crisis and then oh, they acknowledged that they'd be building a million homes which sounds like a familiar number because the greens proposed building a million social homes in 20 years to redress the housing crisis but then when you look at the details 985,000 of those million homes so all but 15,000 would have been built anyway by the private sector based on how many homes they built in the last five years so oh. our concern with the government's announcement is yes it identifies the problem but it tries to pass off the status quo as a solution. It's very interesting. <laughs> Which is like, dudes, you really missed the memo there. You had a chance. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you missed you the halfway argument. there, and then you just totally dropped the ball. Laugh, but but it's it's laughable. You have to laugh or you'll cry. It's yeah. laughable. So yeah. this is my this is my disappointment with labor. You know, they get halfway there, and then inevitably they just don't quite come to the conclusion that seems perfectly obvious to everyone when I speak to you. Yeah. Without meaning to sound like we've got all of the solutions, we certainly do have some very well. I mean, you guys definitely have more solutions than any other party out there right now. Well, we did so many door knocking, um, outreach, community Mm. liaison events. Like, we've actually listened a lot to what people have said is the problem, and we've thought deeply about what are ways that we can solve those problems. And we've socialised those ideas and people have been like, yes, that would help me. Putting Denton into Medicare, that would help me. Mm. Not having a two-year wait list for social housing, that yeah. would help me. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Well, that was something my GP said to me the other day. She was like, do you want to see a psychiatrist? Um, and I was like, oh, maybe. And she was like, okay, so there's this one here, $400. And I was like, no, I don't want to see a psychiatrist no. then. No, who's um, got that? I know. I was like, I really don't have the spare four hundred dollars to just like spend on, and that's not not even like taking into account like any medication that like that's I would be prescribed. It's like that's just yeah, that's just the initial mm. like that's just the appointment, mm. and then any medication that you get. And I was like, four hundred dollars for a so ten minute appointment? That's Absolutely not, not. That's what Medicare is for. Yeah, like, isn't that why we have a subsidized? health system and isn't that why we pay tax so that people can get the services they need to meet their basic needs it's ridiculous that you might have to fork out four hundred dollars for one appointment for one appointment when you have a medicare card you should just be able to use that and say i need a bit of extra help right now and maybe if i go early then i might not need quite as much help as if i wait years and years more and become more and more unwell you Mm. know like it's like there, I think it's like a three-month wait list. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about like in Brisbane, but in Cairns at least, if you want to see a psychologist, and I mean like a psychologist, not you know someone. Um, uh, I'm totally blanking. What is it called? Or no, it's, it's the social worker. Uh, a social worker as well, but there's a thing. Headspace. My God, oh, that's yeah, what it's yeah. called. Yep. Yeah. Um, so like, <coughs> if you want to go to see a psychologist, that's like not in Headspace, and that's like. Um, 
each waitlist. Yeah, yeah, there's a three-month waitlist if you want to see one. And then if you want to go to Headspace, then you either have to do, like, group sessions, mm. and that's the only way you'll be able to, like, talk to someone, or you have to wait, like, it's not know, okay. You no. Have to do set, like, if you want to do group sessions, I think great, that group sessions can be really helpful. For, but if that's your only option, yeah. no. Yeah. What about your privacy? That's healthcare. It, that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I mean, I, I think it's just been proven time and time again that the economic investment in good quality health pays dividends in terms of people being able to live productive lives you want to be purely economic about it then you know they're able to work more they're not taking days off because they've got to grapple with a depression like a depressive incident because they've been able to actually access healthcare and get that issue addressed so it's it's a false um position to take that it's not worth the investment the investment absolutely pays off it shouldn't it's not about that anyway it should be about a social responsibility to provide that health care yeah. but it actually is an investment that pays off well like the general quality of life would significantly mm-hmm. increase if people can go to the dentist when their mm-hmm. mouths start to hurt and you know go to a psychologist when their heads start to hurt sleep comfortably in a house at night that belongs to them and that they're not worried that you know they're not going to be able to meet rent and then being kicked out of it mm-hmm. and it's just things like that like we really do need a government that exists for the people for the community for us and not mm-hmm. A government that exists for the one percent. Yeah, that's yes. what we've still got, and I think political donations has a lot to do with that. And I think Definitely. the political status quo has a lot to do with that. I think a lot of decisions get taken just because they've always been taken that way. And yeah. I, I still have hope that the new government will break out of that shackle, that self-imposed shackle of these are the rules of engagement. This is as brave as the electorate will allow us to be. Bullshit. People want their problems solved. solved. And they would like some courage and bravery and leadership mm. from the people they elect to lead. Mm. Uh, I, I just, it, it irks me when there's a lack of courage and bravery. And also, actually, that just perpetuates the status quo, mm. which is a deeply unfair, power oriented, money oriented system. So, it just, by, by not breaking the rules, you're just perpetuating and worsening the inequality gap. Yeah. I think even just like, you know, so like a sprinkle of acknowledgement that things aren't great is also like something that can like make people feel heard. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, well, not from labor at least in the last couple months, haven't really felt that sense of acknowledgement that like things are difficult in a way that actually feels genuine and not mm-hmm. performative. Interesting. Yeah. Because I've heard them say some good words, mm-hmm. but what I haven't heard them then say is that they're going to do anything about it yeah so perhaps it's that performative um yeah that you picked up on like they're just acknowledging that there's a cost of living crisis i don't mean they're calling it a crisis but they're acknowledging that you know it's a little bit difficult but then in the same breath they're like oh but you know the budget's under a lot of pressure which is i don't know if you're interested but it's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) you already crossed that line it's such bullshit it is because they are giving away Billions and billions of dollars to people that don't need it, to companies that don't need it. They're subsidising fossil fuel use in a climate crisis. Yeah, that's... They're giving tax cuts to the wealthy in an inequality crisis. Like, I know. Guys, 
I you are not in a bunch of crisis if you stop funding this stupid stuff. That was what I said to my dad in the last election. I said, I want you to know that you paid more in tax than Barnaby Joyce did, than Jerry yeah. Harvey did. You yeah. paid more in tax than he did, and exactly. he's a millionaire. And my dad didn't believe me. He was like, oh, No way. I'm exactly. like, Google it. Yeah, I think because it's like, unjust. yeah, it's like. In, incomprehensible to be like why am i paying more tax than a millionaire so it's easy to be like well that is obviously not true. yeah that's not true well it's like well that that is true yes. i promise you it is mm. yeah mm. yeah it's yeah. how much could we put towards relieving the housing crisis the dentistry and mental mm. health yeah. crisis if maybe we just like took half of the money that's going towards mm. the fossil fuel industry yeah, totally. like and how much that well, can do. I did my best to remember the figures. The Parliamentary Budget Office or PBO for short does all those figures so you can find those figures. Yeah. Um, but in in short, $254 billion over billion with a billion with a B over 10 years. So that's like $25 billion a year is going for tax cuts that will kick in in 2024 for people that earn over $180,000 a year which is a lot of money. So they don't need a tax cut. So that's, yeah, $254 billion. Um, Fossil fuel subsidies are $11.8 billion every year. And so Again, with a B. That's with a B. So that's, and that's each year. So we're talking whatever it is, $118 billion over 10 years. Um, there's also a, uh, a gas subsidy that goes on top of that. And now my memory's failing me, but I looked at it recently and you've got about $40 billion with a B money that could be spent on putting dental into Medicare, on building homes for people, on putting solar panels on everyone's roof that doesn't already oh God, have how one, easy on would that be? batteries on, um, on making sure that public schools have well-paid teachers and oh enough classrooms that aren't falling down around them um, and that can provide breakfast to kids who've rocked up and haven't been yeah. able to have it. Teachers are so overworked. They don't get paid enough for <laughs> the work that they do totally. which i mean that is not a hot take that's just like a proven fact no, totally. te- teacher burnout is a really big thing and i was talking to a teacher the other day and she was like it's just exhausting yes it's exhausting it to is. be a teacher mm-hmm. and to know that like her profession is probably at the bottom of the priority list yeah and it's so unfair. same thing with nurses yeah after the pandemic they're so and critical what's happening is people are then leaving that profession because yeah. they are burnt out and feel undervalued and which you can't blame them for and then what? And then the health crisis will worsen. So, yeah. I mean, like, really, we should be giving these people a pay rise at the very least yeah. to encourage them to stay in their crucial roles so that we don't have more of a problem down the track, mm-hmm. which is another thing that we could fund if we didn't give tax cuts to the very wealthy. Yeah. So we think about these sort of things and we do the figures and we work out what you could spend that money on and we could actually have a more equal society where people's basic needs are met. It's yeah. not utopia. It could be reality. Yeah. That's why so many people voted because that shouldn't be a radical proposition that should just be a basic entitlement of every yeah and i guess the just going back to the gen z and i think that that real anti-politics sentiment of seeing the two parties that have been in for so long and nothing's really changed and they don't feel like they're listening to them and i think this most recent election was a real demonstration of if those two parties don't step up then voters go elsewhere they go to the teals they go to the greens they'll go to you know new independent parties yeah. and so I think it's it's definitely got the two major parties running scared that That's they awesome. actually have to start listening to the people who are voting for them or who could vote for them and win their votes rather than just assume that they're going to get them yeah. and Gen Z has played a significant role in in creating that that fear in them <laughs> that's great it's good I want them to be scared well look again I live in hope that we'll have 
a government that listens to the clamour from Gen Z and so many others for their yeah. basic needs to be met and for the climate crisis to be mm-hmm. actually taken seriously rather than yeah. given lip service to. So I have to have hope because otherwise, well, mm. I don't think Oh, my God, I have so much you know? hope. I really do. I think that I didn't want to for a while because I was severely disappointed in, the two, like we've all said, the 2019 election. was so hopeful and then I was like, I can't afford to be hopeful right yeah. now. But after this election, I'm like, no, there are more people turning 18 every day that ha- that are really socially and politically aware yeah. yeah um you know and more a lot of my my friends in my age bracket were explaining to their parents how preferential voting works oh because gosh. a lot of yeah it's like why are your children right. why are your children <laughs> explaining the preferential voting system to you but at the risk of making this the Stephen Bates fan club hour um certainly <laughs> we lo- are a Stephen Bates lowering fan club. lowering the voting age is something that I think has a real prospect yeah. of, of making some headway in the next couple of years so yeah. it may be that by the time we get to the next federal election the opportunity might be there for yeah. people who are 16 and over to vote again no guarantee but that's certainly a campaign that we'll be working on and it seems to have some appeal to yeah. to labor and, and to the independents i'm gonna tell you guys a funny story so mm-hmm. after the 2019 election i actually sent an email to scott morrison was saying exactly mm-hmm. that i was like i'm 16 and i couldn't vote in this last election i'm pretty sure i also said if i could vote i wouldn't have voted for you because, <laughs> because your policies do not line up with mm-hmm. the things that i need yeah. and i was like i don't understand why i like you know the legal age of consent is 16 yeah. but i can't like why can i have a say in things that i can do with my body but i can't have a say in the political system that is supposed yeah, yeah that is supposed to like exist for me mm. um i got a response back as you can oh, imagine really? yeah i did oh, what um did it was oh my god i can't remember but it was basically like he was like i enjoy hearing from young people like you and like a part of our democracy means that everyone can say what they want to say even if uh, people don't agree with it um and then was like you know and part of democracy also means that i can have my own opinions and things like that it seems like a very automated response i feel like what happens is like he has a bible yeah (laughs) i just i remember thinking that i was like why can i consent to sex but i can't consent to what politicians are you know working for me so that's something that even at 16 i didn't i don't think i had like the words to articulate you know exactly what stephen bates said but i was like why why can i make all these other decisions but i can't vote yeah and we've certainly got the words now. Yeah, and I mean, the climate crisis just makes that real for a lot of 16-year-olds who will bear the consequences of decisions that are being made right now and yet they don't have an opportunity to vote mm. in how those decisions are made and who's making them. So I think the argument is very strong for people for that voting age to be lowered mm. and that the views of those well. people should, in fact, they, be counted towards I them. think that, and this is just like a guess, but I think that the reason that, that people would be hesitant to was because maybe they don't take young people as seriously as they should, or they don't believe that young people in this day and age are more, like, politically aware mm. than they actually are. Mm. Whereas, like, no, if you are... They totally are, because yeah. the situation is so tough right now, you have to be, as we talked about before, mm. maybe back when those old farts were young. Perhaps mm. young people had the luxury of not being politically engaged because life was okay, you know, mm. whereas life's a lot harder now. And, yeah, you've got no choice but to be paying attention and railing against the system. And exactly. so, of course, you deserve to vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for talking to me about My politics. Pleasure. And, yeah, you guys are very inspiring. And thank you for representing us. <laughs>
You are so welcome, Pfeiffer, and your courage in a whole range of areas is also very inspiring. Thank you. So I hope that when people listen to your podcast, they can feel stronger in themselves and go chase their own dreams as you're chasing yours. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. That was so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> like the Gen Z poster girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>